Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast. Backing down a lefty hook, makes it in! With your host, Gallius Anderson, stuffed it down behind his head. Seku Smith, the tipping is good at the buzzer. And Vince Thomas. Slices across the lane, puts up a hook on the run. No, but a dynamite stick back slam! Now it's time for the tip Here we go again, Vince. Here we go again. The Hang Time Podcast. Take two Smith from NBA.com. Joining you alongside my partner, Vincent H. Thomas. Vince, I know, I know you're in the studio back there. I'm, I'm here in uh, Logan Airport in Boston trying to find a quiet corner. I'm telling you, I, you got an easier time finding Kaiser Associated than you do a quiet corner <laughs> in the airport. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I, told you, I told you go to a bathroom store, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we need. We need people. Flush the hang time podcast every three or four seconds. That's great. Oh man, you on the phone? <laughs> you you're on the phone with a with a desperate Lakers fan, man. The desperation uh, the desperation has set in, man. I'm feeling I'm feeling anxious, yo. I'm feeling as much. I I figured you and uh, the rest of the Lakers nation were sweating bullets last night because you didn't just lose Game Five. Mm-hmm. You got you, you got explode, exposed again. The, the the tenderness looked like it came out of a couple guys last night. You thought you thought you thought LA played a little tender. I thought they played tender. I thought Gasol really played tender, which is strange because he's been so big in the series uh, up until now. But everybody reverted back to some ugly habits last night, including Kobe. Including Kobe. Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, if if I if I were to assess the the performance of the of the team in general, I I I will say that. They didn't play with as much heart. Well, I don't, I don't want to get into that abstract heart thing. Let's say they, they didn't play with the urgency that Boston played with, and I don't know if if it's because they knew that they could come home for, for two games. Or, but whatever it was, Boston seemed like there was something on the line for them, and it wasn't the case with uh, with Los Angeles. And, I mean, Kobe's performance, you know, and I know we probably want to get into this with, with some of our guests later on, but... Um, it just didn't seem to have the impact that, uh, you know, uh, a 30-plus night should have. You know what I mean? 30-plus. He had 38 on 50% shooting, and I wanted to fight him after the game. I mean, because I just thought for all the hard work he put in, for all the shots he took, for all the impossible shots, you know, Kobe shots, I like to call them, he, he makes and nobody else can make. He didn't get enough other guys involved for them to help him come all the way back in the second half. I thought he shouldered too much of that burden for too long, and when he needed some help, nobody was available, man. And that's, that's dangerous, Kobe. That's, yeah, I told uh, our friend Scoop Jackson from ESPN last night, I said that Kobe had an eagle flashback. You know, he went back to the Brian Cook, Smush Parker days, and he, you know, he's looking back off and wasn't making passes and just like, I'm going to do this myself. I don't care what, you know, what anybody says. And that's dangerous, man, because that's how they got beat in the 2008 final. That's how the Celtics 
smashed on him in uh, in 2008. Yeah, and speaking of Scoop, uh, we, we we got him coming on as a as a guest later on, don't we? Yeah, we got to track him down, man. He's a, he's a busy cat. I'm, uh, he was cutting out of here this morning, heading back to Chicago uh, to handle some biz. And uh, so I told him we are going to track him down. And we also got uh, a guy who knows plenty mm-hmm. about the, the Lakers and Celtics' uh, long history against each other in the NBA Finals and as two of the most storied franchises in all of sports, Kurt Rambis, coach yeah. of the Minnesota Wolves. And Kurt is coming I'm, on with us. Do, I, I, do you think right now – you know, because we all expected a great series, and I, I think there's been some compelling moments. There's there's been some drama, but where are you at with just the the entertainment factor for for this series thus far? You know, it, oh, as I'm, a Lakers I'm giving Celtics, it a B, I'm giving it a strong B plus. Okay, I, mean, I think I think it's been not only really good basketball in in long spurts for for guys on both teams. I mean, I think it's been dramatic. I think there's been uh, tons of storylines every night, a different set of storylines every night after the games. I mean, all we talked about for two days was, was Shrek and Donkey, you know. Right, uh, right. Robinson and, and Big Baby Davis. And then last night, you know, you get to the arena and you're thinking, okay, these guys, what do, what do they have, you know, as their second act? We never even get to them because the big the big three plus one or the big four, whatever you want to call Boston, you know, four four guys, uh, they took over the game last night. And they were the ones who, who won game five for Boston. Right, so, and, and, and we haven't even gotten to uh, – to Doc Rivers and the job he's done. I think he's – you talk about a guy that's remade his, his image and, and really changed the perception of himself around the league and, and among uh, not only the fans but also probably the coaching community. This, this guy was losing – you know, he lost 18 straight the year before they, they got Garnett and Ray Allen. Now this guy's on the on the brink of winning a, a second title in three years and putting himself in that elite category of coaches all the time. I mean, a lot of a lot of people are, and it, that's what you have a chance to do when you're playing in the finals. You you have a chance to, not sort of rewrite history, but to continue to develop uh, your reputation or your legacy. Doc is definitely doing that because one thing that we can say is he's not getting out coached. You know what I mean? It, it's, not even close. Not not exactly. Um, Nate, yeah, not sh- shout out shout out to little Nate, man, because little Nate was a was a pariah in some circles earlier in the season, and now he's he's balling and. And he's a, a, a real contributor on a team that could possibly win the championship. Shout out to the Boston bench in, in general, um, which I cannot, which I cannot say for for the other side, uh, you know, with the Lakers, because um, that team, like like I said before, um, the finals even began. Say that that that's like a, a four or five deep team, especially with with Drew as as gimpy as he is. That's what, that I think. Oh, I mean, it's getting enough, you know, pub and, and credit, but. That's really a big story that he's not really able to go, um, uh, you know, as much as he should. You know, not able to ball, you know, as well as as he would like. Because you you put a even a moderately healthy Andrew Bynum in that lineup, and now you start to see the the, the Laker advantages without him. The the play, you know, the the playing field is much more even. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you saw over the first three games what a difference Andrew Bynum playing at relative health. You know, makes. I mean, because he was. Everybody knows he's been playing on a, a torn meniscus throughout the entire playoffs. So mm-hmm. uh, we're not even talking about him at a hundred percent. We're just talking about Andrew Bynum. It's like you know, for, for sake of argument, seventy-five percent. But his length and you know his ability to play above the rim and really cause problems at a seven-foot, you know, seven-one, two hundred ninety pounds changes the game for the Lakers. Without him, like you said, it's it's a, it's a much much more even fight. And right now. 
the Celtics uh, are landing all the clean punches. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, again, we'll talk some more about that, man. But let's let's get into it with with our first guest, um, a guy who knows all about punches in in the Lakers Celtics rivalry. <laughs> Timberwolves coach Kurt Rambis. Um, let's let's get him on the line. Kurt, how are you doing today? I'm doing terrific, guys. How are you? Doing well, doing coach. Good. Doing well. Good. Sorry about the background noise. I'm here in, uh, in your favorite city, uh, Boston, trying to get out of town and head to LA. <laughs> games uh, six and seven of these finals. So uh, I, I better mention your name softly around here. Somebody might close my eyes. But uh, what, what are some of your most vivid memories of, of this rivalry, and, and does it strike you at all that here we are in 2010 and this thing is still going on? Well, it, it doesn't surprise me um, that both organizations are once again fighting for an NBA championship because of the, the pride and history of the organizations. Both organizations are competitive and want to win, and you know, when you have that sort of mindset, it, uh, that's that's your goal. That's what you strive for, and inevitably you put yourself in those situations to get the players. You, the organization spends the money. They have the mindset to get the talent to, to get to that level. So uh, from that aspect, it, it doesn't surprise me that both teams are back there once again. But you love, you love the history. Um, you, you love the rivalry. You love the type of players that both teams have a, a knack of being able to find the competitiveness, the hardworking, the talented players, the driven players, the obsessed players, if you will, uh, who want to win a championship. That's their sole motivation. And it's, it's just, you know, it's just natural that that's what you come up with. Coach, have you have you found yourself uh, this season, or excuse, excuse me, um, the, with these finals, or even in two thousand and eight, feeling nostalgic at all for, for for your matchups with the Celtics, your Lakers back um, in the eighties? You know, it's always fun to to look back a little bit, but so much time has passed. So many of these players that are competing in this series today. They were either weren't born or you know were very very young uh, when I was playing when the you know the Lakers and Celtic teams of the '80s were going at it. So you know they're not a part of it. They're not a part of it. You know as 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 fans or as players that have gone you know you know been play, were, that were playing in the NBA in the '80s. It just it's a whole different mindset. Even even the rules have changed so much since we played. So you know, it's 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 just not the same um, from my perspective. But you know, it's it's good for both organizations that you know they have the type of players that want to compete, and the the history adds an element to to the rivalry and the intensity with what you're seeing out there in their play. Well, I mean, take us back to to, to the '80s, coach. You know, um, for because we do have a lot of uh, young listeners that that check check out the Hang Time podcast. What was so compelling um, and palpable about the Boston-L.A. rivalry back when you were playing in the 80s? Seku mentioned the, the, the clothesline, you know, Kevin McHale's famous clothesline. Like, just describe the atmosphere that was that was present at that time. Well, what made it unique with the teams was the, the talent level that was on both teams. Uh, and, again, going back to their competitiveness, their drive, their obsessive nature to want to win a championship. You, you, you look at the history of Magic and Bird and, and, and their history and how far they went back. 
um, and how and I think you've seen recently in their um, special that they had on the Bird Magic special, and they talked about you know how they looked at each other and how they followed each other and how that rivalry just continued on into the NBA and how competitive they were with and almost jealous when one of them won okay. something that the other one didn't have, you know, how it bugged them. So I think that that helped catapult their respective teams. And and you look at the talent level that was on both of those teams back then and a little bit of the contrasting style. You know, the, the Lakers had a reputation for being, you know, a lot of finesse and flash and, you know, fast break tempo where the, the Celtics were more grinded out, pound pound away inside kind of basketball but that wasn't necessarily true I mean there was a lot of defensive concepts that allowed the Lakers to win and and the Celtics could run in their own right too so you know there was that they were talented teams that could score inside outside they could run they could play half-court basketball they could be physical if they wanted you know the example of the the clothesline with Kevin McHale was just a an example, and I think that that's why they keep replaying it. it was, it's just an example of what <laughs> exemplifies, you know, the intensity and the rivalry, you know, uh, of these two organizations. Does it annoy you that they keep replaying it, Kurt? Um, yeah, a little bit. I mean, to me, to me, it's you know that that's all old stuff. But like I said, I think it just you know it's it's a clear cut example of the intensity um, that's gone on in this rivalry. Kirk, do you see some of the same intensity in the rivalry now that that, was, that existed back then, or is it a different era now with players and they're just not not as disconnected now as they may have been in your day? Well, I, I don't know. There's so many there's so many new players on the Celtic team that I don't know if there's that tremendous hatred in a competitive sort of way that evolved. Um, over the years in the 80s because the, the teams were kind of set back in the 80s and the, and the teams were together for a long period of time and battled and there was this tremendous history. But you look at the Celtic team and, and even though, you know, there is an intensity with which they're playing and the, and the physical nature with the way the finals are being played, you know, most of the success that the Celtics have have come from you know from new players. I mean, Rondo's relatively new, Garnett's new, Pierce has been there for a while, but Allen's new, so they've been on different teams. So for them to be at you know at the the Celtic team, you know, it, it doesn't have that history like they've been there for a long time. And likewise with the excuse me with a lot of Lakers, they just they just don't have that same sort of history because they weren't playing against each other for years while they were on their respective teams, you know, the Celtics and the Lakers. So that's Kurt, the way I see it. Kurt, well, I, I, uh, Kurt, I, I was at, at a game one or two in Los Angeles, and I saw Kevin Love walking around courtside with his dad. What kind of teachable moments does the NBA Finals offer for guys who haven't experienced it? You know, as a coach, I'm sure, you know, you're glad anytime one of your players is at least witnessing it and seeing what kind of hard work it takes to get there. But what kind of teachable moment does that offer for you as a coach to, to impart some of that wisdom upon uh, some of your players? Well, I, I encouraged all all of our players. I was, you know, fortunate because Kevin is out there in Los Angeles. He and I uh, attended the games together. We sat, you know, next to each other or close proximity to each other so I could talk to him and while the game was going on and show him things that we've been working on with him as an individual or, you know, little sequences within our offense that we might be able to use and, and benefit with him. And 
Um, but more importantly, not only with Kevin but with our entire team, I've encouraged them to watch the playoffs and how critical each possession becomes, how physical the game has become, how focused and intense and how driven the players are to give them a clear example of, you know, where I expect them to be, you know, that's my goal for this team, this organization is to get to that elite level at some point in time. And in order for us to get there, we have to have players that have that competitive mindset and I want them to see it, I want them to feel it and it's so much better when a player like Kevin can actually get out there and see it. You know, it's different seeing it live as opposed to being on television. So I've encouraged all of our players to get to games if possible um, just to watch it. And I've gotten a lot of feedback via text about situations, and it's it's been interesting to to get the responses from the guys on our team, not only how fun it looks, but how rough it is, how physical it is, and, you know, how intense the players are. It's a uh, you can you can tell that they want to be a part of it, and that's exciting for me as a coach. You know, coach, you talk about building a winner and how you need guys that have that competitive drive to to help you get there. And I I, I want your opinion on on something. Um, the the Lakers as a franchise, they have you know a a, a good amount of some of the all time greatest players to to ever play the game, and you see their their jerseys hanging in the rafters there at Staples Center. And, you know, Derek Fisher now, this is his seventh uh, finals appearance in a Lakers uniform. Um, He's hit a slew of big shots for the Lakers. And especially with these last three championship runs, he's actually been like leader 1A on on that team with Kobe Bryant. Kobe and Phil have said as much. And I'm just wondering, even though he's a a role player, do you think that that his Laker career – um, is is one that might deserve some consideration for his jersey being up there in the rafters when it's all said and done. Um, no disrespect to to Derek at all, um, but no, I don't believe so. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I know how much that Laker team respects his leadership capabilities and his toughness and his competitiveness. But those jerseys that are hanging up there are for the elite number one players that have mm-hmm. been on the, on the ball club. And, you know, even though Derek is a tremendous, you know, what I would call a role player, albeit a very good role player, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of really good role players that have played for the Lakers, mm-hmm. you know, who you'd also have to consider putting up there. And, you know, I, I think that starts to dilute the rest, you know, the, the, the main key number one players that that hang that have their jerseys uh, hung up there and will mm-hmm. probably continue to be hung up there when when Kobe retires and and Shaq retires that's that's who those jerseys are should be held for in my opinion well Kurt we, we know your uh, your time is limited and we appreciate you for the moment but we, we gotta ask you one last question if you had a chance to go through the Lakers to get to the NBA Finals or to get to the Finals and beat and, and face the Celtics what would be more uh, gratifying for you as a coach at a team? <laughs> you know what I, I think uh, if you can get to the NBA Finals and, and win if, if we're fortunate enough to get to that to that level I don't think you complain about how you get there <laughs> I think just you know some, sometimes you know when playing for the Lakers or coaching for the Lakers and if we hadn't you know didn't win a championship you know the, the next day in the paper everything is, is lost but you got to look at the other 
uh, 28 other teams in the league who would give their right arm uh, just to get to that level, to have a, a great record during the regular season and get all the way to the NBA Finals and lose, they would consider that a monumental season. Mm-hmm. You know, the Lakers don't don't feel that way. If you get to that level and lose in the NBA Finals, it's a it's a real frustrating lost year. But you know, for an organization like the Timberwolves, we you know we want to get to that level. We'd feel very fortunate if we were able to get there, regardless of how we got there or, or regardless of who we were playing. That's awesome. Well, listen, Kurt, we appreciate it so much. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Hangtime Podcast, and good luck to you. All right. Uh, all right, Coach. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. On. I appreciate it. Thank you. Vince, I mean, I, I don't want to uh, be out of line here, but listening to Rambus' voice, man, does, do you get shade to Phil Jackson in the way he talks, in the way he sounds? I mean, he sounds like Phil Jackson light or like, you know, I don't know if all those years of being around Phil Jackson and coaching with him rubbed off on him or what. I'm sure the Timberwolves fans hope some of that. I kind of feel I kind of feel you on that. He did have you know sort of a a calm Zen like tone. <laughs> Zen like I I, you know? I I figured one of us would say that word at some point. It just it just struck me though. Listen no, to him. He uh, absolutely did. Yeah, he got a little got a little feel in it maybe. And you know you listen. I, you know, you look at these guys who are career assistants and you wonder like, oh, you know, does this guy have a chance to be a good head coach? Is that guy? Rambus is a, is a dude that a lot of people felt would end up being a, a, a head coach and possibly a pretty good one. So I'm going to be interested to keep my eye on the Timberwolves the next few years, see how that thing works out with Rubio and Kevin Love and Al Jefferson. Those guys, see if they got the, you know, got the fortitude to stick with the young group they have and see what they do with it. Yeah, and I, I, I appreciated um, what he said about Derek Fisher, you know, when I posed that question. And, you know, I, for one, I don't think that Derek Fisher should get his um, – his number retired by the Lakers, but you know there was some some uh, people that were, were bringing it up after he had that big uh, game three. You know, but it, what I do want to say about about Fish is that I believe that his standing in Lakers history is different from other role players because the other role players haven't had you know three seasons in a row like Fish has had these past three seasons, where although he's a role player, although he's not a star. He is as important to to that team as everyone other than Kobe Bryant because of the leadership that he provides. You know, role players usually don't have the leadership responsibilities that that Derek Fisher has undertaken with with, with these last three or during these last three championship runs. So I think that puts him a, a level above, say, a Michael Cooper or, a, a, you know, a level above even like a Byron Scott. He's He wasn't a better player than those two men, but I think his his rep and his standing in Lakers history I think might might be a notch higher than theirs, uh, yeah. especially with these last three championship runs. I mean, I see where you're going with that, but I think it's a tough, it's a tough sell because they don't hang jerseys and rafters because you were a good leader. Mm-hmm. Well, because you would you you would have sergeant in arms in a locker room and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's usually got to be you toting a heavy load on the floor. You know, winning games, and he's done his fair share of big. You know, making big shots and helping the Lakers win games. Uh, but I, I, you know, I got to think Rambus is right in that. You know, it's it's tough to to make a case for Fisher or a lot of other role players, Robert Ory. You know, a lot of guys who've made big shots and done good things. Brian Shaw was a from all accounts, a blue guy in that locker room when the Lakers were winning those championships earlier with Shaq and Kobe. You know, they've had some guys 
even Rick Fox, if you really think about, you know, guys who were those blue guys, role players that, that had big moments. But, you know, you've got you to put forth a sustained effort of, you know, Sheer excellence. Yeah. Well, what I'm, but what I, what I'm saying, though, say is I don't. Again, I don't think that Fish should have his um, jersey retired uh, as a Laker. But like when when we talk about people like Rick Fox or Brian Shaw and even Robert Ory, I really think that at this point, with this being Fish's 11th season, if I'm not mistaken, with the with the Lakers and his seventh his seventh uh, appearance in the finals as a Laker, but especially taking these last three years and what he's meant to the team. I think that he's over Robert Ory. He, well, he first, he's won more rings than Robert Ory and Rick Fox and all those guys have as Lakers. But I think that none of those guys, no matter what they produced on the court, have had an impact on their team the way Derek Fisher has these last three years. So although he might not be, although he's definitely not Jersey retirement uh, material, I, I I do think that twenty years from now, when we look back on the Lakers and we look at the role players, Fish might be the top role player in Laker history. Maybe that's what I'm saying. Wow. I, wow. I really I think so. You, you must have had some Jamba Juice or something before you showed up. <laughs> you are pumped. You are pumped. Yeah, you man. Matter of, matter of fact, I think that's going to be my column for tomorrow, man. It's going to be a Fish column. Fish, Fish is the greatest Laker role player ever. Yeah. That's why. I'm, that's where. That's why I'm. I think that's where I'm going, man. I gotta. I gotta get the Jamba Juice. Because um, <laughs> you're tripping. But listen, we got man. our homeboy on the line, huh? Man, we got that dude on the line, man. Scoop Jackson. Uh, everybody knows him from ESPN, uh, Slam Magazine, and all Slam, over the place. Yeah. You know, just doing all kinds of big things. And, and Scoop and I were talking last night uh, about a topic I think is really interesting. Let's, let's get him on the line here. I know he's busy, but let's see if he can join us for a minute. What's happening with you? What up, family? What's going on, man? How y'all doing? What's, what's good, good? good? What up, Vince? What's good, big bro? What's going on, baby? How you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. I Listen, heard Steve, I, I was telling uh, I was telling Vince about that Kobe conversation we had all game and after the game last night. Yeah, did you see? Uh, you should if you post up online. You uh, you know, you, you're in the copy. I saw the final edit of the Kobe piece. <laughs> so, Mr. Seku Smith is in. You know, you're in text from what I understand. You name you name dropped him, Scoop. Name dropping, yeah, name dropping, no doubt. <laughs> Yo, but I mean, so no, it's it 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 a good conversation. I think you know we we have one. I think a lot of other people probably around the country may have been having. Mm-hmm. So put me on. What were you guys talking about? No, well, I mean, we kind of went the range of Kobe. Like you know, everybody was waiting for Kobe to have this game, had that game, and technically, from a statistical standpoint, he had that game. But when Seiko and I, you know, kind of broke it down. It really wasn't that Kobe game that we all look to change the direction of a series because Kobe really does his business in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a stat that was handed to me by the NBA in the middle, like right before the third quarter started of last night's game because they were where I was doing something on Kobe. And they gave me a stat that said in games one through four of the um, – yeah, in games one through four of the 84 possessions that the Lakers had in the fourth quarter of those games, Kobe has had 57 touches. Now, those 57 touches, he was 7 for 26 on the field. Mm-hmm. That's, that's less than 27% shooting, and he had scored a total of 28 points. Last night, he was 2 for 6. All right? Wow. That's 33%. So, basically, Kobe's shooting barely. He, he's not shooting 30% from the field in the fourth quarter. 
and he's averaging less than five points in the fourth quarter. So when we look at the stats, oh, Kobe dropped 38, and he had like, you know, 17 or 19 in the third quarter. Kobe had a regular game. If we know Kobe, that's not the type of game. Kobe, that's not a Kobe game. That's a Karl Malone game. Well, yeah, it's, that's somebody else's game. It's not Kobe. It, you know, Kobe's, Kobe's the mixture of Michael Jordan and, and, you know, well, Michael Jordan, of course. But, you know, mm-hmm. he got a little Reggie Miller in him, too. Mm-hmm. You know, and because and, and the business goes down, he gets it done in the fourth quarter. He, historically, throughout his career, he's been one of the top fourth quarter scorers, along with Paul Pierce, you know, of this generation. So to see his numbers like that in the fourth quarter, you know, kind of led us to believe, well, one, we haven't, you know, as much as people were thinking this is a Kobe game, it's really not. You know, it's like the subplot inside of this, the story inside the story. It's really not. So we're wondering, when is he going to have this game? Yeah. And I mean, and I think, and I think that, you know, when you coming into the series, knowing that Boston um, typically gives Kobe some problems, and you know, I, I throughout this series, I've continued to hark back to 2008 and how difficult it was for Kobe in 2008 to get really anything off. And you know, you look at the composite body of work thus far in 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 this series. You look at the averages, and like you're saying, Scoop, it looks like Kobe is doing what he usually does, but. You know, for instance, Game Four when they needed when they needed Kobe to come alive and save them and 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 lead them to a victory, will them to a victory. He right. couldn't get it done. You know, same thing happened. Um, and it, and it wasn't that uh, yesterday yesterday night he wasn't getting it done because he was scoring, but it wasn't having the impact that his scoring usually has. That's you know what I mean? Exactly, I mean that, that's exactly what they could not talk about. It's mm-hmm. like. You're getting, you know, the Kobe-like performance, but you're not getting the Kobe-like impact. Exactly. Scoop, do you think? Do you think that he's had like I, I called it an evil flashback to, to 2008, 2007, where he just he's looking around and, and instead of seeing Paul Gasol and you know Derek Fisher, he sees Smush Parker and Brian Cook. Like he just. <laughs> He just, his mind is playing tricks on him or something? Right. I, you know, I, that, that's a good point. But, you know, if you look at what happened in 2008, you look at what happened now, and say, because you and I both said this yesterday, is that Kobe's found his nemesis. Yeah. This, this, this is his Rafael Nadal to, you know, uh, to him being Roger Federer. Right. You know, this is this one. And most times, like we said last night, you know, everybody finds a nemesis that comes in the form of a person. Kobe's nemesis happened to come in the form of a team. Because mm-hmm. if you look at right now and you look at 2008, you know, he's, like you say, he's looking around and saying, damn, this ain't Brian Cook, this ain't Smith Parker, but it damn sure seems like it. <laughs> you know, and why is this the only team that it continues to seem like it with? Well, There's a problem. And, you know, I can't, I can't really, you know, get too hard on all of, all of the Lakers. But we can we we can take like four of the fingers that we got on our right hand and point them at some of them cats and like yo y'all y'all playing like Smush Park and Brian Cook right now right right and you know what and you know what happened Scoop when that when that happened when when Kobe looks at his teammates and they're not performing up to par or maybe they're not playing with the medal or even you know Sekou and I were talking earlier today the the urgency that his opponents are, Kobe goes into desperation mode. And, like, that is just never a good look when Kobe goes into desperation mode. He played basically all of 2000, the, the 2008 finals in desperation mode. And I think that now that the series is on the line, and it has been for the past couple games, as, as soon as he gets even an inkling 
of maybe a lack of aggression or a lack of confidence in his teammates. Then he goes into, like like uh, Sekou said, evil Kobe and starts yeah. trying to take over. But you can't – you're not playing Utah. You're not playing Phoenix. You're playing one of the better perimeter de- defending teams um, of the of the you know of, of in recent memory. You know, over the past like three or four years since they've been together, yeah, and and you're not and you're not just going to go off on them. Yeah, I mean you can't. But I agree with you. You can't. You're not just going to go off on them and automatically seal a victory because, like right. you said, this is this this is not you know uh, uh, the whatever you know this isn't the Nets mm-hmm. you know. By any stretch, so you can't, you can't, you know. This is this in Toronto a couple of years ago. You could drop eighty-one, or Dallas, where you can outscore a team and still come out with a victory. You can't or, do that with the Celtics or Utah but, and Phoenix. Right, right, exactly. You know, where you just take the game over. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna lay my imprint on this game from an offensive standpoint, and you all can't do anything about it. But I think something needs to be said about this. And once again, this goes back to our conversation last night that Seiko and I had, is that if you look at what happened in the third quarter. You know, and that's the point that Sekou made about Kobe continually saying it's not our offense, it's what we do on the defense. Our defense has been horrible. Kobe had 17 points in the first six minutes of the third quarter. All right? The Lakers started the third quarter up. I mean, the Lakers started the third quarter down by six. Now, you tell me just one man, one man scored 17 in the first half of the third quarter. The team itself had scored 21. All right? You are on pace to have a 42-point quarter. Explain to me why at that point you were down by 10. How does the other team's lead increase right. when you are on pace to have a 42-point quarter? Mm-hmm. See, that goes to Kobe can rough all he wants to. The Lakers are making no stops at all. I mean, there's nothing going on on defense. Did you nothing. Got, guys, did you see, did you see like, uh, I, I don't know if it was in the third quarter, say, or the, or the fourth quarter, Scoop, but like the, almost on back-to-back plays, Boston was able to throw a, a, a lob um, t- right to the right to the rim, and there was nobody at the rim sto- uh, right. to, to stop the to, to stop That's the bucket. Bynum's not out. in the game, man. That's because Bynum's not out there. Bynum, Bynum has Gasol has seven blocks one game. Um, say you know what yeah. I'm saying? Uh, Lamar Odom is 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 as long as the day is long. He can be. He can, Somebody has to be back there, man. Like that's that's the They're kind of defense that's not going to. There, there you go. There you, I, you know, I can't. I can't really get on Paul because Paul has had really. You know, this is the first bad game he's had in this series. Right. I got a text from a man last night. He was so mad at Paul and Bynum. He said Kobe should make him walk back to L.A. <laughs> well, even Kobe, but Scoop, Scoop, even Kobe said that as well as as well as Powell has played for the for the um, finals that he you know he can have one bad game and I felt yeah, he can't. I, 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 I give Powell rest, but you know what? You don't like, like that say? We got we got four fingers, and I don't, don't want to start yeah. calling our names, but you all you know. Yeah, you yeah know, I mean I'm not. We're not going to roast. We're not going to roast. We're not going to roast Ron Artest right now. Let me say one thing. Let me say one thing. I'm gonna tell you anything. Let me say one thing. We talk about those lives. But nobody defend him. You would think they'd have learned the lesson because if you remember, I think it was game two. Game two, Rondo had three uncontested layups yeah. in a set offense alone. To me, I thought if you let that happen, that would never happen again. I thought yeah. in the series, you know what, they, they, they'll get it because there's no way Rondo should get three uncontested layups in a row in a game because that's just defensively breaking down and not committing to defense. So I didn't expect to see that again with the Lakers. So, you, you know, the point you just brought up is one that now I'm putting in the context of this whole series from a defensive standpoint. They're still having large, long lapses on defense. Absolutely. Let me, let me put it to you all like this. 
game six and possibly game seven, whose legacy is on the line? Like, who who yeah. has more to lose by losing in these next game or two? Is it Kobe? Is it the Celtics? No, I said at the beginning of the series that Kobe had more to lose in this series than anybody. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's kind of like he had a lot to lose in the series before when he played Boston. You know, but I, I think right now because it seems like Boston has his number, you know, that they have this version of the quote-unquote, you know, Kobe rules, same way the Pistons had Jordan. Right. And until we can figure it out, that that's what's at stake. I mean, because none of the other Lakers have a legacy to uphold right now. You know, Ron right. Artest does have a lot to lose, but then so does Mitch Kupchak for making that move. So that's a general manager move. But we're talking about the overall historical impact of what can happen at the end of the series and who is it going to affect the most. I think it's going to affect Kobe. You know, here, here's here's what I would say on that, guys. I, because there are, if and if we if we just stay with the Lakers, there are a lot of uh, everyone on the Lakers has something to gain um, with, with these finals, and, but yeah. none of them have anything to lose other than Kobe. You yeah. know, because they don't have a legacy. They don't really. They they don't even really have a. They don't even really have a rep. You know what I'm saying? So they can they can wipe away what happened in 2008. You know, and and get some retribution for that, and you know, and exact some vengeance for that. People like Paul Gasol um, can gain, can can now start to w- work on um, a, a very in, uh, infant uh, uh, level of, uh, of legacy. You know what I mean? But, but Kobe, but, Co- but Kobe and Phil, if they lose the finals at Staples in either Game Six or Game Seven. And say I, I think I, I think we had talked about this um, a, a few days ago. They that really um, tarnishes their legacy. It's a it, there, there, there's a there's a conspicuous blemish if they lose a game six or game see, seven at Staples. I don't think Phil's going to lose anything. I mean, because well, maybe in the context of uh, of this conversation, I don't think Phil loses because he's not chasing anything. Yeah. He's a, Phil's already got the title Jordan has. Kobe's chasing other people. Okay. Right. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing for Phil. Like, all right, so I lost a couple of times in the championship, so I still got 10. I have, there's no, right now, who's chasing him? Right. He got, he got a long distance between he and the next dude. Well, you know what's disappointing to me is that we spend so much time talking about Kobe, the Lakers, and what they have to do, and, we, and we're not giving Doc Rivers in these Celtics, they do. Like, we don't, yeah. they're not getting yeah. their shine like they should be. And Doc, to me, Doc has put on a show, a coaching show, that, that is just bonkers when you consider where he was, you know, when Orlando decided they, you know, they had, they didn't want to do it anymore. Lost 18 straight the year before the big three showed up and fans yeah. coming with bags on their heads. Look at him now, man. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he is. You know, I, I wrote earlier in, the, in, in my little conference preview that, you know, when he wins this thing, he may, he probably, he's probably going to put himself in the Greg Popovich category. You know, he's, he's, he's borderlining on, to me, if, if Doc wins this, then I think, you know, when we talk about who are the best coaches in the game, his name has to be included without question. I mean, Absolutely. there's no stuttering, no second guessing after this one. So there's the Phil Jacksons, Larry Browns, Greg Popovich, Doc Rivers. That's it. Those are the four. He's Mount Rushmore right now, as far as I'm concerned, if he wins another one. For, con- <laughs> for, con- for contemporary coaches? Yeah, yeah. Now, if he goes around, look, if he finds a way to stay in Boston, lose Kevin Garnett, lose Ray Allen, lose Paul Pierce, build up around Rondo, and make another set of runs, 
then he yeah, I mean, then he goes from contemporary to all time. Well, and, and right. here's here's what I love because as we know, when it comes to there's there there are only but a few championship caliber coaches. Coaches, I believe that if, if given the right pieces, can lead a team to a championship because because it's that whole psychology aspect of coaching and being mm-hmm. leaders of men. And mm-hmm. I remember one one of my friends. They said that um that uh Doc Rivers is almost like Obama in the huddle with how inspirational he is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's what separates Doc from other really from 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 almost every other coach in the league I, I there's there are very few coaches that are as inspirational as he is and you need that when you're dealing with the egos and the and the men that he has on that team the personalities yeah, the that he has on that team the 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 you know the the reality of him taking all those guys from you know Perkins to Rondo you know um PP KG you know some 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 high te- some hot tempered you know guys and How the hell you miss Rasheed, dude? Right, man, Rasheed, <laughs> Rasheed, little you miss Roscoe, man. You know Roscoe, little yeah. little little Nate. Who I mean, baby, right. slobber. I mean, like that, that's that that is a, that is a team of characters. And Doc has them for the second time in three years on the verge of winning a championship. And you know, we always say if they had a healthy Garnett in two thousand and nine, we might be talking about a team that could be going for a three P right now. That that is exceptional for Doc. So yeah, yeah we, we got to shout him out. I don't know if y'all. Uh, I don't know if y'all noticed. Earlier in the series, um, I did some uh, on an off day where Rondo was talking about he didn't think Doc got the credit he deserved. He's like, man, do you realize what kind of team we have? He's like, how many egos we have? Mm-hmm. How many wild personalities? Like, I'm not sure any other coach in the league could coach this team. I, I, and people might have ignored that, overlooked that, but I think he was dead on, man. Doc yeah. has kind of personality where he's not going to, fight the power with his, the team he has. He brought this group together and then molded them. He didn't bring them in and then let KG dictate how they were going to play or let Paul dictate how they were going to be as a team or let Ray influence the way they were going to operate. It was his plan, his his style, his demeanor that took over the team. I think and that's the one thing that everybody hopefully will remember if they do win this thing. Yeah, and we got to keep in mind, and we've been true to this, that you know, we got to always keep in mind that who's going to tell this story at the end of the day. Right. You know, and, and, and as black men, you know, and Doc's included in the conversation, you know, we often have to dream our way through bars that would never bend. So, you know, for him to get the credit he des- he deserves, that may never come. Right. You know, and we have to understand it. And I'm pretty sure Doc understands it. You know, but as of right now, I think part of our responsibility is to make sure that he stays in this conversation. Yeah, you know, no question. Absolutely, you know he he he's repping Chi Town. You know I know all all our listeners out there know Scoop. Oh yo, this dude, Chicago. Dude, so he's repping the Chi. got married in pink Converse All Stars. <laughs> he got married in pink Chuck Taylors. So I, I go I go back with Doc a long way. And what do you what do you think what do you think about the way KG has bounced back? Another you know an, an, another Chi Town representative. What do you think about the way he's bounced back? School. Oh uh, no, I mean I didn't expect anything different. Um, you know I talked to KG right before the end of the season. Uh, got a chance to do a story on him and basically. You know, he and Doc just broke it down to me. It's, you know, we know he still – they said it's going to take a year for him to get really recovered from the situation. He's still dealing with forms of recovery. But the minute – but the reason his numbers were down, you know, outside of his age is the fact that he just wasn't getting a minute. And Doc wasn't playing in a minute. So, you know, Doc had a plan in effect. And he fought KG, you know, the whole way through. You, you know, you, you, man, you know, Tick wants to play. Mm-hmm. That's what he wants to do. 
So when, you know, Doc was holding them back, you know, they had their, they, they had their moments. Mm-hmm. You know, but now, you know, once Doc said, you know, oh, come playoff time, he's getting his minutes, they said, okay. So I expected to see KG, you know, come through in the man he's been able to come through. And, you know, any, anything KG's going to give you over, like, you know, if he, to me, if, if Kevin gives you 16 and 7, that's good. And I think he's done more than that. And he's doing a decent job, you know, as much as you can against Paul Gasol, who's basically the best big man, you know, uh, offensive, offensively a big man in the league. So right. he's got responsibility. So I, I'm happy to see him do that. I wouldn't go into it saying I'm surprised because in talking to them before the playoffs started, Doc kind of, you know, uh, gave up to me what his plan was as far as KG was concerned. I knew his numbers were going to go up because his minutes were going to go up. Does, does it, does it, guys, does it even make with as, as – as, you know, sort of stilted and uneven as this series has been from game to game, does it even make sense trying to predict what's going to happen in, 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 these, in these last two games? No. Okay, wait. Let me ask Vince a question. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think Boston, because this is the paradox I'm at right now, mm-hmm. do you think Boston can win three games in a row against the Lakers? Honestly. I, see, I, I, I don't, and especially if – they, if if the last game that they win in, in that in that three in a row is at Staples, but right, okay. I mean, but you know, it's like, but what does that really mean, though? Okay, no, 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 no. It's just a question. Okay, mm-hmm. but secondly, now that being said, do you think that Lakers will lose or can lose a game seven at home? See, I can, I cannot imagine that. And everybody, okay, so that, you're in the same paradox now because I yeah. can't believe either one can happen. Yeah. And, you know, everybody that was picking um, Boston in, in, in seven, like, that's what I would keep on coming back to. Like, you all, you mean to tell me that you all think that Kobe Bryant and Phil Jackson are going to lose game seven of a finals exactly. at Staples? I just cannot see that. I can't see that happening. And I think these two teams are too evenly matched. I think that these two teams are too evenly matched, too close in talent and execution that it's hard for me to believe that one team will win three in a row against the other. Come on, man. y'all! Y'all, y'all haven't y'all obviously haven't been listening to KG. Anything is possible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, and that but, and, and and that and this this series has really sort of like um, driven that point home. It's like just when you think you're getting a feel for the series exactly. and how, the, like the the next game, you know, the the next game is played, and it's like, well, man, I didn't see that coming. So here, here it, is is it possible for Boston? To catch LA sleeping, game six and 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 win this series, I would say I, I don't I, think they have to catch them sleeping. Vince. You I got think, to say no, you you got to no, catch them sleeping, no. man. No you, man, listen. Nobody has nobody has has uh, gotten surprised in this series. This has been a toe to toe matchup. These been head of games, man. And yeah. and the better team on that night has won every time. It's just the way it is. If if the if the Celtics can can win game six, anybody can win game seven, and I believe that. Mm. Wow! We'll see. Real, even yeah, I'm just okay. I I feel that I feel that statement. I'm I'm on Vince's side on this one, and maybe I got too much faith in this dude, but I I, I can't see I can't bet against you know uh, Frank Lucas in Game Seven. Dude. <laughs> Very I, true. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't go against I can't go against Frank Lucas in Game Seven at home. But you know, no, what? I'm, but school, I'm telling you, school. I don't. He hasn't proved to me yet that he. That, that this is his chance to do it up there. But and say, say, let me say this: 
there, there, it is possible that you get into that game seven situation, and Kobe obviously is thinking the way that the way that we're thinking. There's no, there's no way that I'm gonna let my team lose a game seven on on our court. And again, I really think that sometimes Kobe's greatest flaw is when he gets desperate and he and he he loses that trust for his teammates and he tries to do everything um, on his own. And I just don't know if that's possible against Boston. And that might be the one way that I could see them uh, um, falling as, as Staples for a game seven. Um, but it, it, it's almost as close to unfathomable as it can get for me. Well, hey, I'll I, I just throw one number out there. 0.4 seconds. <laughs> and Kobe won't be the only one. Mm-hmm. That, that, that dude Fish in a game seven, I like my money on him too. But, man, yeah, what well, about those guys on the it, other side, though, No, them, them guys on the other side are ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Those guys on the other side are ridiculous. I'm not taking anything away from them because, to me, we can talk all we want about who's going to do this. Bottom line, the Lakers don't start playing some defense. They're done. Yeah. Period. Yeah. We, we all three know that. Yeah. But yeah, I'm just saying, just for the sake of conversation, I don't know if Kobe's going to be alone in the game seven. No, he won't. Because he, that's he what I'm saying. Because 0.4 does his thing in big games. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he he, 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 he's, uh, right he, he's a little version of Robert Ory. He gets it done. Yeah, yeah. He shouldn't be alone in Game Seven. Um, right. But, you know, but now, who else is gonna you know, step up? I don't know. Yeah, we gonna. I'm tell you this. I know where both of y'all will be tomorrow night, and I know where both of y'all will be Thursday night, possibly if it happens. And can you imagine not watching these last two if there are two to be played? Oh, it's dra- oh, it's drama time, baby. Yeah. It's, it's drama time. Yeah. This is this this. This is it, man. It's, it's, it's drama time, and, and this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, absolutely. This, this is exactly the way it's supposed to be because bottom line is that I think we all have to admit, honestly, we all have to admit that the two best teams got into the finals. Yeah. Without question. I think so. Okay, and I think the one, this playoff really exposed how good these two teams were compared to the teams they had to go through to make it. Yeah. These are two really, really good, even match teams. You know, now we're looking for X factors on both ends. You know, and I think the X factor is with the Lakers is, you know, one, if there's one player, it's Lamar Odom. If he shows up to play, he gives the best stability and does that. But what's become the biggest X factor is their defense. Yeah. I really do think if they do not lock down and put any stops together, then they're done. X factor for the Celtics it. is that bench. If that bench comes to play, it's going to be hard for the Lakers to win because there's too many of them. No doubt about it. Look, Scoop, I know you uh, got a big, you know, big things going on with the family up there in Chicago, man. We, we want to tell you how much we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Absolutely. With, uh, oh, man, hey, man, look, look, my son, my son left me and my wife already. He had a little, <laughs> I came in town, straight from the airport, went to the lunch, and, you know, figured I ain't seen him in two weeks, you know, get to hang out with him before graduation tomorrow. Dude, he's like, I'm going to the show with my friends. He's like, wow, for real? <laughs> that's how, that's how it is, man, when they get a yeah. certain age, you know? Yep, yep, when they get there, they do their and, thing, and I, you know, so I'm good. And, hey, Scoop, and I want to put in a request right now, you know, sometime around in July, man, we need to get you back on here so we can, because you got, you know, you're over there in Chicago. Chicago will be big-time big, big time players in the free agency, we, so we need, we need to kick it again sometime next month. That's easy, man. Easy. I'm just, I'm just trying to get a campaign for them to leave LeBron alone and say they say they kiss and go for Carmelo next year. Okay, see, so we, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talk about all that. Right. That's no good. All right, fellas. It. Hey, all thanks for right. having me. I appreciate you. All right, all right man. I'm telling you that that same conversation that I just witnessed because I couldn't barely get a word in between you and Scoop. It's hilarious. I love <laughs> that's my it. that's my big brother right there. But uh, but you know, he and I had that same conversation all over. 
TD Garden lap. And I'm talking about every, we sat sitting about ten seats away from each other. Um, you know, we walked past each other. And we both kept walking over to each other like, yo, you think this is real? You know, like, can Kobe do this? You got to fix. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going, man, you think you got enough? You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's, this, is, this is my absolute favorite time of the year, man, just watching this thing. And I love when it's dramatic like this. We haven't had a compelling finals. And I'm talking about every game has been compelling. There hasn't been a 30-point drubbing in this series. No. And you I'm- know, um, and I mean, uh-huh. we're here, yo. We like we are we, we are at winning time. It's game game six. It, uh-huh. we're, we're at elimination games now, and uh-huh. it's it's not just it's not just two teams going for the Larry O'Brien Trophy because that enough would you know in itself would be dramatic. But we got we got Kobe legacy issues. We got you know KG Doc River Paul the, the Pitt, everybody, everybody. Yeah, you know. We got team. We got teams going after you know little mini dynasties. You know, so yeah. I mean, like this is th- this is as compelling as as it's going to get. You know. Yeah, this is that time of year. Um, you know, I'll uh, I'll make sure to to get my rest if if we have a game seven, which I'm hoping we do. I will I will be well rested and bushy eyed and ready to rock for game seven Thursday night in L.A. So you uh. You lay out the Jamba Juice and, um, you know, get them vocal cords a rest, man. You, you're screwed. Y'all terrible, man. I gotta, I'm going to to do something with y'all, too, man. <laughs> Unbelievable. But listen, um, you get, hold you it down the- in Atlanta, man. I'm, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get out of here and get west and uh, yeah, make get sure to, I get out here. Get to La La Safe, man. Have an In-N-Out burger for me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, can get, you, can I, get over to, you can get over to the west side and, you know, put your feet in some sand. Do that for me, you know? Yeah, I'm going to take care of it for you. I'll make sure I send you a quick pick. And don't forget, you know, uh, as always, you can catch up with us, the Hank Cotton Podcast on Twitter, Vince uh, Thomas on Twitter, myself, everybody, the whole crew. I know I know we had Clint Hawkins working hard today uh, in the booth. But, but I go from Skype to the, to the iPhone. To, uh, I'm about to pick up the payphone in a minute that's going to make it better. So, um, Big C's putting in work. Technical difficulties, but... Um, you know, you and Mike and Hard, our super producer, man. Y'all, y'all shut it down in there because you're getting out of here. All right, homie. All right. Next time on the Hang Time Podcast, folks, NBA.com. Jacob Smith, your host, Vince Thomas, my co-conspirator in basketball crime. Talk to you later.